The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. You see, I'm just old enough. I'm just old enough to remember church with the pews and the redback hymnals. That, that we wouldn't sing all these off-the-wall songs. You know those songs that we put on the wall and y'all we sing them off the wall? You know? I'm just old enough to remember when we'd have song service. And now we've got these awesome churches with this, these rock band style worship services. And I'll be honest, it took me a second to kind of get used to that. And there might be some here who might go, man, I'm used to more of a traditional vibe. But you know what I thought the other day? I thought of the game of basketball. Any basketball fans here? What a list bird. If I could wish her like this, I would have. Go Spurs. Like a good Latino. Because I know I might look German because I'm so tall and all, but I am Latino. With a name like Ricardo de Cordoba Santa Maria de Jesus Sanchez. Would you give this band a round of applause? Aren't they awesome? Love you guys. I thought about the game of basketball in the 1950s, how different it is from the game of basketball today. I thought about though the shorts were a lot shorter. <laughs> Ooh. Some too short, you know what I'm saying? Jesus. Today's shorts are a little longer, socks are higher. Egos and salaries are much bigger than they were back then. But back then, the premise of the game, the premise of the game of basketball was to have four quarters, 15-minute quarters, and whoever had the most points at the end of those quarters wins the game. The premise of the game of basketball in the 1950s was whoever scores the most points wins the game. Today, the game of basketball has four 15-minute quarters. Whoever has more, more points at the end of those wins the game. You see, though, it looked really different in the 1950s than it does today. The premise of the game of basketball is exactly the same. And though church might have looked a little bit different in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, the premise of the house of God was to preach the gospel with not being ashamed and to see people receive the power of God to receive salvation. The premise of church today is to preach the gospel and to see people receive the power of God. Though it looks different, the premise of church is exactly the same. That's why my wife and I have 19 years We love CLC. We love Pastor Rex and Patty. Come on, give your pastors a round of applause. Every time we come, we we get something. We get something powerful. And sometimes it's hard to see the forest in the midst of the trees, right? It's hard to see really what you have. But I think you all know what you have here. It's an altar of God where you get fed the word of God every Sunday, every Wednesday night. Amen. Give your pastors one more round of applause. I love Pastor Rex. We're good. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Acts 16, chapter chapter 16, verse 23. 
I'm going to read three popular pieces of scripture. It says this. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, this is Paul and Silas, they cast him into the prisons, charging the jailer to keep them safely, whom having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. And at midnight, somebody say midnight. I don't know why it was midnight. One day had ended and something had beginning. The night was just ending and the dawn was just breaking. I don't, I don't know why it was midnight. But God takes the old things and makes them new. I don't know why it was midnight, but I do know that God takes a sinner and makes him a saint. I don't know why it was midnight. But I know God takes lives that are ruined and wrecked in situations that are, seem impossible and makes a way where there seems to be no way. I'm so grateful for midnight. I don't know where in your day you are, but midnight is coming. Verse 25 says, and at midnight, somebody say midnight. midnight. Paul and Silas prayed. And they sang praises unto God. And the prisoners, those, those that were around them, those other families that were around you, those other workers that work with you, those that were around them, the Bible says, heard them. And suddenly, can I, can I just say this? What's coming out of your mouth? What, what is coming? Listen, I didn't come here to tell you something. I thought you were a worship leader. I am, but where do you think the worship comes from? I thought you were a nice songwriter, brother. I thought you were going to be gentle with me tonight. Well, I'm going to be gentle, but the Holy Ghost might just might get you up and do a little surgery up on you. The Holy Ghost might get up in your business. I don't know. The Bible says, this is your Bible. It says, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners that were around them heard them. And verse 26 says, and suddenly, somebody say suddenly. suddenly. There's a great earthquake. Something happened in the midst of their struggle when they lifted their hands and praised and worshiped God. Though they didn't feel maybe physically like it. Things started to shake. Things started to rock and roll and rattle around them. Which paints a picture for me that things started loosening up. Those tight things started loosening up just a little bit. Things were shaken and immediately all the doors to the prison was open. And everyone's bands were loosed. Those families, those friends, those co-workers... Tonight, I want to give you a brief word about the power of praise. The power of praise in your mouth. The power of praise in your hands. The power of praise in your feet. The power of praise in your posture. Because understand something. What I've realized as a worship leader. Sometimes my body language is speaking far more than them words that are up on that wall. And as a born-again believer... That believes in the power and the healing of God and the salvation and the grace and the mercy of God. Sometimes my posture is speaking a whole lot louder than the words that I'm singing or speaking into somebody's life. Is this all right? The Bible story begins with a unique or an unjust arrest. 
of Paul and Silas because they had cast a spirit of divination onto a girl, out of a girl. In other words, Paul and Silas were just minding their own business and doing what God told them to do, and the world arrested them for it. Hey, this Christian walk ain't a bed of roses. Man, I wish I could tell you, you accept Jesus into your heart and then your life is smooth the rest of your life. You know, Jeanette and I, what I realized, it's so much easier for her to see my weakness than for me to see my weakness. And there's sometimes I don't like seeing, hearing that. When did you and I believe that God wants us to send us to safe places, to do easy things? That playing it safe is the normal. Somebody say normal. normal. That playing it safe was the normal with Jesus. That radical is anything but normal. Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make you and I dangerous. That you and I would have such a walk with God that the enemy would think twice before he starts messing with our family. That the enemy would think twice before he starts messing with your finances. You and I were designed to have such a relationship with Jesus that hell would shake when you walked into a room. That the devil would have to go, whoa, 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 I'll be right back. I, I can't. For some reason, some of us think, well, let me keep reading, can I? Because I wrote it, so I'm going to read it. I believe that faithfulness is not holding the fort. Faithfulness is storming the gates of hell. The will of God is not an insurance plan, it's a daring plan. In complete surrender of your life to the cause of Christ. It's not radical, it's normal. You want to know what normal is, is surrendering your complete life unto God and doing exactly what God has called you to do. That should be normal, as radical as it might seem to the world. Now, let me get this right, Brother Ricardo. I'm supposed to give. I'm supposed to give unto God, and he gives back to me. Exceedingly? Abundantly? Abundantly? It don't seem right to the world. Doesn't seem normal to the world. It's time to quit living life as if the purpose of life was to arrive somewhere safely. It's time to stop living for God, thinking that we're going to arrive to death safely. I was told a while ago that Some of the richest soil in the world are these cemeteries around here. Because so many people went on to be with the Lord with so much still left in them. That their bodies are in these cemeteries with so much greatness still in that ground. Whenever I step out for God, God always does something that blows my mind. You might go, Ricardo, you're up there sweating. You're up there jumping. You're preaching. You're singing. You write songs. Man, you seem like you got it all together. Well, maybe, maybe I ruined that for you. You got that video, bro? The first one? 
Y'all know a guy named Michael Jordan? Check this out. Uh-oh. What have you done now? I don't know if this is the right video. I try to make the, the game uh, perfection. I try to make it a perfect game for myself. His way is to befriend them, to soften them up, uh, to try to feel, uh, make them feel like he cares about them, and then he goes out there and physically tries to destroy him. Van Gundy said that I was a con man, which I've never seen con man use in a, in a, um, in a polite or, or respectful way. For some reason, league I saw this video the other day where Michael Jordan was saying, Maybe I made it look easy. Maybe I made all these championships and these rings and all these accolades. Maybe I made it look like I really didn't put in the work. Maybe I should have made it look a little bit harder and the camera starts panning to the workout room and dirty, sweaty clothes in the corner and a little boy shooting at midnight at his house when it's dark out. Maybe I made it look too easy. And then he looks at a group of teenage boys and he says, or maybe you're just making excuses. The local Philippian authorities beat them and threw them into a jail cell. Beside, besides the trauma of severe beating, they were fastened to stocks and their arms and hands and wrists. We're in an immobile position causing cramps and loss of circulation. The atmosphere was depressing according to the standards of the day. A prison, the prison was more the resemblance of a, a dungeon. A dark, damp, stench-ridden place with no facility for waste comforts of any kind. No comforts of any kind. Yet, in spite of the throbbing pain in their bodies and the disheartening atmosphere, at midnight, Paul and Silas were heard praying. And singing praises unto God. Let me, let me put it in our vernacular. Despite the fact that they had a reason to complain. They had a reason to mumble. They had a reason to gossip. They had a reason not to forgive. They had a reason to stay bitter. If anybody had a reason to do any of these things, it would have been them. Even though they had a good reason to stay there, they made a choice. And that choice was to praise and worship Jesus. What, what, a, strange, what a strange sound you must be. What, 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 a, what a peculiar person you must, you must be to those that are close to you that don't know Jesus. Because you should be moaning and complaining and laughing at the joke and cheating. What a, what a unique witness that would be, right? What a strange sound this must have been to those prisoners who were used to the only hearing groans and Cursing at those that had beaten them. Then suddenly there was a great earthquake that shook the prison doors. They flung open and amazingly the bonds of Paul and Silas and every other prisoner were released. What caused this surge 
of power. What was it that God, the power of God, responded to? First of all, I'm so grateful that God goes to those kinds of places. You might be here tonight and you might feel like you're in a dungeon and in a damp, dridden place. And you might have been beat up by somebody or something. But I'm here to tell you tonight that God goes to wherever you are. However low you've been, God will be there. However depressed, God will be there. However hurt you are, God will be there. I'm so grateful that the presence and the power of God goes to places most people would throw up in. Next time you see one of those people walk in this church, you love them. They don't look like you. They might not act like you. They might not know what church is. Religion, religion says look like me, act like me, then you can be with me. Jesus didn't come and say, Ricardo, you've got to do exactly what I did. Look like me. I think Jesus is simply saying, hey, this is who I am. Follow me. You watch. I'm not going to force anything down your throat. If I'm worth my salt, let's take another mile. And if that works, let's go another mile. You see, I don't follow Jesus for any other reason other than the fact that he loves me. And he's proven himself time and time again in my life. I'm not following Jesus because I'm told to follow Jesus. I'm following Jesus because I love him. What was it that caused this surge of power? You see, because some of us in that situation, we allow our scars to remind us of our enemy, those hurts and those pains. Those scars and those people that have put us in that prison. We're reminded of how big and strong they are and how intimidating and ugly and abusive they are. But there's others that allow their scars to remind them not of how big their jailer was, but of how big and strong and loving and merciful and gracious and generous and merciful Jesus is. My scars don't remind me of my pain and my enemy. My scars remind me of the grace of God when God pulled me out of the hand of the enemy. I'll be quick. I got a lot of scripture to go through, but I'm I'm not going to. There's a man named Simon Sinnott who speaks to Fortune 500 companies. He's brilliant. Saw him on a TED Talk one time. He's from Canada. He said, you know, I wanted to interview these Olympic athletes, these professional athletes. But before I did, I watched all this videotape on them. And every interviewer that had an opportunity to interview these athletes asked them, within every interview, the same question was asked. Were you nervous? Were you intimidated? Were you afraid? 
And every athlete said no. I was excited. I was pumped. So Simon went and looked up. Neurologically, what happens to a human being when they're nervous? And he noticed that there was a shortness of breath. And their heart started pumping. And sweat started coming down. And they started getting antsy. And then he looked up neurologically what happens to somebody when they get excited. And you know what he found? There was a shortness of breath. And their heart started pumping. And they got nervous and they got antsy. You want to know what the difference between them and you and I are? Is they've made a choice. They've made it up within their own mind and within their own heart that fear has no place in them. That they're going to turn their fear into faith. Everybody say it's a choice. Paul and Silas recognized this. They recognized, number one, if you have your pens, write this down. Or fake me out. Get your phone and pretend like you're doing it. Praise elevates us out of our earthly position of pain and into God's presence and power. When you open your mouth and begin to shout unto God, regardless of where you are, it elevates you from your position. In essence, you rise up to Mount Zion. You rise above the plain. You rise above the average. You see the double entendre? You rise above the plain, the ordinary, the meek, the mild. And your perspective thus goes from one end of I-35 to the other instead of sitting in the traffic wondering what's going on up there. Your perspective elevates. Paul and Silas knew the secret of how to lift their hearts above their troubles and enter into God's presence and power through praise and through worship. Their hearts were raised into the joyous presence and peace of God. And that peace provided God a channel for his power to operate in their circumstance. Number two, I believe your praise provides God a channel or a gateway or an entranceway for his power to operate in your circumstance. The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. I believe when we open our mouth and begin to worship, regardless of where we are, in the poorhouse or in the penthouse, that spiritually what happens is we allow God an access or a landing spot. And you have to understand that when the presence of God comes, because I used to think, I used to think, well, Jesus is going to come in. She's going to come in here. Just sit down right here, Jesus. Okay, I'm here. I used to think it was just Jesus walking in. But I was corrected by some old timer. He said, do you realize who Jesus is? Do you realize what he brings with him? He doesn't just come with his peace. He comes with his power. He doesn't just come with his power. He comes with his mercy. He comes with his grace. The entire arsenal of heaven comes with the presence of God. Do you see the power? Do you see it or are you just saying it? Number three, praise comes before his presence. Please hear that. Please hear this, that the praise comes before his presence. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. 
I will enter his courts with praise. Do you see it? Well, you know, Rick, Randy, Randy, Rick, Randy, whatever, Ricardo, Angie. <laughs> How many of you love Pastor Randy? Y'all better clap. I love that man. Him and Sherry, they're dear friends of ours. Hi, huh, baby. Just say yeah. Amen. Well, y'all, y'all worship leaders, do that song I like, and then I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. I'll join in. Y'all just do, do the song. All right, I'll give it this. Okay, I'm good. Where's Rex at? Where's Pastor Rex? You know, some of you come to church to leave. I'm sorry, is this on? Is my name ooh? Because everybody's saying ooh. Some of us come to church just to get the papacitos on time. What? Don't get me wrong. We're glad you're here. And I'm glad you're here. But don't, the house of God isn't, I don't always like the house. I'm a, can I be honest? I don't always want to hear God go, Rick, stop doing that. Rick, you need to work on this. Rick. Now he calls me Rick. Y'all call me Ricardo, please. It's not always easy. You know, the Old Testament, it wasn't weird to walk out of the temple with blood on you. And I asked Ashley Evans from Adelaide, Australia, because he made that statement. And I'm like, well, as a minister of the gospel, what does that mean? He said, Ricardo, it wasn't weird for the house of God or the temple to have a stench to it. Because of the carcasses of the sacrifice. So as a minister of the gospel, sometimes you get stains on you. Sometimes you smell of sacrifice. And I'm like, Ashley, how did they get rid of the stench? How did they get rid of the stain? Because it's funny you would ask me. I'm like, I don't understand. He said, you're a worship leader. He said, you'd get rid of the stain or the stench by lighting candles, by lighting incense. And the Bible uses the Old Testament as incense, as worship, rising up to God. (laughs) There might be a stench in your marriage. There might be a stench in the health in your body as the band comes on up here. There might be a stench in your family. You see, Jeanette and I, a few years ago, we had everything, minding our own business. We're in a beautiful home in Atlanta, Georgia. And I was flying to Jacksonville. And when my plane landed, I was bombarded with 911 phone calls, get home. And when I landed, my phone lit up, 31 messages. It was back in the day when you couldn't turn your phone on. So I had mine off, and when I turned it on, there were all these messages saying, 911 emergency, get home, Ricardo. Because like Paul and Silas, I was minding my own business, doing what God told me to do. 
And I was told that our middle son, Josiah, everybody say Josiah. Our middle son, Josiah, was over at a friend's house who just got a brand new pool and dove into the pool head first. And didn't realize he dove into the shallow end of the pool. And my son broke his neck. Jeanette was there. She got called. She ran there. Took him to urgent care. Immediately, urgent care scrambled and called Scottish Rite Hospital. They sent a helicopter because they couldn't take him in an ambulance afraid if he were to move just one centimeter wrong, he could be done. They put him in the helicopter and Josiah screaming, Mama, don't let him take me, please, Mama, please. One of the paramedics grabbed Jeanette and looked at her sternly in the face and said, call your husband and prepare your husband for the worst. He may not make this flight. That was my prison. That was my dungeon. I didn't know what to do. I get my gig bag and my guitar and I walk past the ticket counter of Delta and Terminal A and Jacksonville Airport and I fall to my knees and in front of everybody. I fell to my face. And I just started praying. And I realized in that moment so many different things. I threw my hands over my head, screaming on the ground. And men, you know the prayer. Take me. Please, please, please just take me. Please. Mind my own business, God. Do what you called me to do. Please, you've done it for so many. Please. Heard nothing. Four hours. I begged God. Four hours, 15 minutes into this scenario, I get a phone call. It's Jeanette. It's their doctor. It's Mr. Sanchez. This is Dr. Brahma. I'm the presiding surgeon over your son. And, and, and I don't know how to tell you this. <laughs> I feel what I felt, right? I've, I've told this story hundreds, thousands of times. And I still feel what I felt. My heart went into my throat. He said, I don't know how to tell you this, um, but the x-rays, the x-rays that I got from urgent care showed spinal injury, but the CAT scan that I just took, Mr. Sanchez, it shows absolutely no spinal injury. Your son is going to be fine. Your son is going to be okay. I've never said it in all my years of being a surgeon, but your son just broke his neck. That's all. Your son is going to be okay. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's a beautiful boy. Looks like his mama. Big old eyes, almond eyes. He's at church camp in St. Louis right now. Learning about Jesus. And I realized, number four, your praise may never change your situation. 
but your praise will eventually change you. In that scenario, I ask God, why? Why? This is the last image I want to leave you with about the power of praise. It's an image I think you'll never forget the rest of your life. In that whole situation, I asked God, why? I'm sure Paul and Silas had to ask God, why? And I realized how to get over the why because you got to get out of the why into the what's next. Some of you are still living in the why. Why did he do that to me? Why did she say that to me? Some of you are still living your lives as if 16, 15 years ago was just yesterday. Some of you are still being controlled by people that are dead and buried in the ground. By things that they might have done or things that they might have said. Why? How do you get over the why, Ricardo? How do I get over the why, Ricardo? How do I get over the hurt, Ricardo? The unforgiveness, the pain, the bitter, how? Baby, you just picture the letter Y. Because I said, God, how do I get over the Y? You see the letter Y? Do y'all see it? Ricardo, how do I get over the Y? You just picture those arms of that Y. Because your worship will eventually change you. Would you lift your hands to God? Father, I thank you for the privilege you've allowed me to be here tonight. And Jeanette. God, we're asking why. Father, we need you to move in our life. Very few people know. But we want to see you move. Father, all I know to do is to lift my hands and to just worship you and to feel your presence into our situation, into our life. God, every hand that's lifted represents a situation, a circumstance. And I believe, Lord, that you are responding even now in the name of Jesus. Financially, physically, mentally, relationally right now and right now in the name of Jesus I bless them and I pray for your anointing to fall upon their situation right now in Jesus name I bless them from the top of their head to the soles of their feet that what they touch would prosper to glorify your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven and father we're mindful to give you all the honor all the glory all the honor and all the praise And it's in Jesus' mighty, mighty name that we pray. And all of God's people shout out.